This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. All right, so you caught your first steelhead. How'd that uh, compare to some of the other fish you've caught, uh, some of your other firsts? Um, it was awesome. It was probably the hardest fish I've ever worked for. Um, but I don't know. In the past, it's you know, I've been up here in January and we've gone out and I just felt like I was fishing for nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, that's and, hard. uh, yeah. So we, when we went out two weekends ago and there was definitely fish there, um, but I didn't catch anything that was a little disappointing, but it kind of gave me a little bit more confidence, I think, to keep fishing and, um, finally get one. Yeah. It's hard to not, or to fish without evidence of their one, of their being there. And that's, you feel like there's nothing there, nothing there, nothing there. If you don't see one roll, you don't see one surface, it just feels like you're wasting your time. I think that's part of the charm. I remember growing up, I caught a couple, but there was no reverence. There was no, I don't know, steelhead was just another fish that you caught in the river. And I didn't fish for them during the spring or during the winter because we just, it was, it's not a, not a bulk fish. It's not one that you take, get your limit and then you walk home with it. It was just we happened to catch them when we were catching salmon too so any sort of value or reverence or weight to a steelhead wasn't until i was down in california you start reading about it you start fly fishing and then all of a sudden there's these cool trout and then there's steelhead this whole different thing and the aura about them around them gets gets india yeah so when you were like a kid and catching steelhead were you like oh man a steelhead i can't keep this one or i, I don't i know that i caught them but they were kind of indecipherable because they looked a, a lot like a coho. And so mm. there just wasn't, I don't know how to articulate the, what the right word is. But once you read about fly fishing and you see the value that other people put on it and the experience and how far they'll go just to catch one fish and you start reading about how the fish of a thousand casts, you know, growing up on the river, it was just whatever. You just go there and you catch fish for meat. Mm -hmm. So the concept of catch and release was something that I didn't grow up thinking about, let alone going out of your way to catch a fish that was so difficult to catch in miserable conditions. It was, you, we went to the river on on our bikes and jeans and extra tough boots. We'd get our, get our silvers, get a couple of silvers and come home. And that was, that was the goal. That was how I defined fishing. But then you start fly fishing and you start defining it by different things. And you want to catch fish on flies that you tied yourself, bigger fish, more fish, you know, whatever the markers are, different fish, you know, you catch a coastal cutthroat up here, but then you're down in Wyoming and you want to catch a snake river cutthroat. You want to catch a, you know, all these different, different things. And even like rainbows, you're catching a rainbow on the frying pan river. It's looks exactly like they're a cutthroat on the Platte river, but it's just different spot, different thing. So, um, but steelhead, I think part of it in California was 
we fished a couple of rivers that had legendary pasts. You read Russell Chatham, you read, you know, about guys like Bill Chad, uh, Bill Shad, um, fishing the Russian river and steelhead and King salmon. And you know that you're fishing 40 or 50 years too late. Mm-hmm. And so I think that impressed upon me. I think I'm look back at it now and it impressed upon me this idea that things were a lot better back then and to appreciate things like steelhead more because we never caught a steelhead when we, every, every year we go fishing in, in April and May, you know, the English department, we, we never caught one. Yeah. It was, we didn't even really think that we would ever catch one either. It was just kind of go to, to camp. So, um, yeah, it's it's funny you feel that way about California because sometimes I listen to your stories and I feel that way about Alaska. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy that to think that, yeah, I mean, you know, even just 20 years ago here, how different things were mm-hmm. and, and how many more fish there were in a lot of the systems. and Yeah, it's kind of sad, but... I do like that I've come to the place of valuing the fish and, you know, you read stuff by Dylan Tomine, his book, uh, Headwaters and, uh, what's his other book? I got it on the, what's his latest one? Headwaters is the Head- latest yeah. one. What was the one before? Is it like closer to the ground? Closer to the ground. Yeah. That's the one that was more about foraging. Uh, yeah, but those two books are great and I had him on the podcast last spring and he talked about just the devastation of the steelhead populations down south and some of those legendary rivers in Washington and, and Oregon and how few steelhead there are left and, you know, what dams, the, the the toll that dams took on them and then the hatchery and just all those things have led up to, as he calls it, just fishing for the crumbs or, you know, living off the crumbs or that's yeah. what you're looking at. And so yeah. the crumbs here are a lot better than obviously the crumbs down there, but yeah, well, I definitely think about that because, I mean, our river systems are a lot smaller than down there, but a lot of these rivers, they get like a couple hundred fish, right? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's a smaller area that they're dispersed in, so you have a, a good chance of catching one, but it's still like, it's, I don't know, it kind of gave me pause when it's like, okay, I'm catching one of 200 fish. <laughs> like, I better be careful with this thing, yeah. not mess around because yeah. that's like a big percent of your population is a single fish. Yeah. And that some of the rivers, when they did the last survey, there are some rivers in Prince of Wales that had, it was measured in dozens. And some of the rivers have ridiculously great genetics. And you would not think that a creek, it, it's not even a river, it's a creek. And yet yeah. you get big steelhead. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, if you have one bad release or two bad releases or if you happen to catch a nice pod of 12 of them and you catch five or six of them, that's you're getting closer to a percentage of the population, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and it just talks a lot or speaks a lot to the fragility of things and a couple bad seasons, a couple bad drops, a little bit more tra- uh, traffic. Um, it, it changes things a lot. And I, part of my attitude since I've moved back to has been, at first I was excited and I was taking pictures of almost everyone I caught just because it was an amazing novelty. Mm-hmm. And with that appreciation after living in California, there's 
there's still runs left, but a lot of them are gone. You have to go further, further north to maybe get whatever's left. So to be able to be on a river and catch multiple and expect multiple is pretty crazy on these smaller rivers like you were saying. So you can get in these pockets and it's not, you don't feel like it's a thousand casts. You can go there and, you know, then you hit the holes and you hit the, the opportunistic fish and, and you're in good shape. But, uh, now you just put a lot more value on that and it's, it makes being satisfied with one fish that much easier. You catch one fish and you're excited. You know, you catch a couple and you can be good for the season. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily maturity. I don't want to say if you're really excited about every steelhead you catch and you take pictures of every single one, like, yeah, I still take pictures of everyone. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely not, 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 not chastising that at all. But I just think that, uh, at least for me, uh, I enjoy the contentment that comes with, you know, catching one fish and I'm good to go. That desire to catch every single one that's in the hole or however many I can catch. And, you know, that's, I'm probably not good enough to do all that, which is, which is nice. But after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/waypoint. Yeah, it's, uh... Do you ever, like, you catch one fish and you're like, all right, that was a nice fish, but I think this river has a better fish. I, I think of that more with trout and brown trout than I do with, with steelhead. Um, mm-hmm. I think with the steelhead, you're lucky at times to get one, especially if the water conditions are, are down. And two weeks mm-hmm. ago when we were out to, at the place that we fished, the water was a little bit lower and, you know, the water was a little bit colder and it came up just enough. Um, and I think we missed the peak and there's been a lot of people around too. Like, even though there, it, it's work to get to this river system, you know, there's still a bunch of people around cause word's out. Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised when we were out and, um, we were coming up out of that hole where we caught him and the father and son were going down in and he was like, all right, hope you left some for us. And I was like, is that how it works? Like, can yeah. you just fish a hole right after someone? And I, there have been times that I've actually on that river in a different spot where I've seen how they're fishing it and. They were fishing it, I don't want to say wrong, but based on the more you fish a river, the more you figure out where the 
where the lies are, where mm-hmm. the current is. And if you're, you know, just a couple of feet away, there's that one spot that had the chute. And if you got your fly in that chute where the deep yeah. water is, where they're holding, that makes a huge difference. And that's with, you know, anything. If you're, if you're coming up with over a, a pinnacle fishing for halibut, or if you're setting crab pots or shrimp pots, I mean, it can be a couple feet, 10, 15, yeah. you know, yards can make a big difference. Um, on the bottom fish and the same thing with the river here, a couple feet away, it can make a huge difference. And it didn't look like they were hitting the spots. And one of the things that happens a lot around here, especially with the hole in town is people will splash out. Yeah. Like there are fish like right, they, they hang right there. So <clears throat> if you are up in the river and you're like fishing down to where you want to wade, um, and then fish, but a lot of people splash out there, spook the fish and get them all riled up. But a lot of times they'll tuck into some of those deep slots right next to the shore. So fishing those fish where you want to wade first and then start wading through. And we saw that last year. I got that nice one pretty close to shore because we were up top fishing Mm -hmm. it right and working our way down. And then guy comes in and just splashes right in the spot. And so, um, but yeah, I, I think with steelhead, any steelhead's a good steelhead. Bigger is obviously yeah. really cool. Yeah. You get a really powerful fish, but uh, I've caught some some really nice ones, and so I kind of have that. I mean, there's yeah. bigger fish to be caught out there, but I've caught some really nice ones. So um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's different with rainbow and, and browns. The, when we're fishing the Platte River, you know, and there's the idea that you could get a, you know, twenty six 28 inch brown trout like, oh man those things are in here it'd be sweet to catch one of those so catching a nice 18 to 20 inch is really really cool but yeah i don't know what it is about it that i guess in that environment it seems like it should be easier to access some of that elite fish whereas i mean these things are wild up here so to go in expecting a 28 or 30 36 that's a it's a bit more of a of an ask, I guess, for me. I'd feel uncomfortable expecting that, or or I maybe I'm afraid of catching a nice steelhead and like looking down my nose at it, like yeah, yeah, it's not quite big yeah. enough. And there was probably a time, like you know, when I was when I was first catching a whole bunch of when I when I moved back, where I probably wasn't as excited as they should have been with with some of them. I was amazed at first. Oh my gosh, steelhead! And oh wow, steelhead kind of easily. And then, ooh, I want big steelhead. And then you do more reading. You remember back to the days of California when there was no chance at all. And you think, oh, man, this is actually a pretty priceless opportunity to get here. Let's not get greedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was awesome, you know, catching catching that fish. And it was jumping. And, like, <laughs> I was just hanging onto the rod, like, hoping that it wouldn't come off. And the rod was, like, vibrating. Like, I've never had a rod vibrate yeah. before. But, um, yeah, and then seeing some of those pictures you were showing me of people with these, like, fish that I'm like, that wouldn't, I don't even know how I it would, it would have fit in the net. It, I don't know. How do you even catch that fish? How do you land it? Yeah, some of those megas. I was like, man, I can't, like, it'd be cool to catch a fish like that because I just can't even, my mind is just blown thinking about how, how do you even land that fish? How do you pose with it for that photo? Like, that mm. thing is. Some of them are weird. Some of them you expect they're just not going to come in, but some of them just kind of stay low and just bulldog you. And it's just, it's just dead angry weight and you can kind of turn their head and kind of get them to shore and kind of coax them in. 
Mm. especially in the cold, cold water. But other times, man, they just go and then they keep going and then they jump and acrobatic. But it's one of the things, especially with the cold water, I like fishing with heavy gear. So if you're fishing, you were using the eight weight. Mm, yeah. It was an eight weight switch rod. So you had a lot of leverage uh, mm-hmm. opportunity in your, in your favor, which is nice. Sometimes if you're going out there with a, with a five or six weight, I mean, you're playing small ball with a big fish. And so you have to be super, super delicate and you have to really tire that thing out. So going back to, yeah. you know, what condition is it in when you release it? So I like balling up and having good solid leader that's going to hold and then using that big rod. It makes it easier too, when you're going to make all those casts and yeah, lots of mending and lots of, lots of that. So, um, it's nice to have that to your advantage, but yeah, some of those, some of those fights are just wild, but it becomes kind of a panic cause I just want to get the thing in. Yeah. So it's not super enjoyable because I'm, I'm panicked. I don't want something bad to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing too. Some of those takes because you think this powerful steelhead is going to just hammer it and you hear about, Oh, it just hammered it and just took off. But there are so many subtle takes. They just feel like little tinks and just setting on everything. And that, which is again, hard to do. Cause if you don't think there's fish there, you're not sure if they're going to take, or you feel yeah. like you're maybe just you fishing. You think you're to snagged nothing. and you're. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just set on everything. And even if you are snagged, like kind of hold it up for a little bit, just to make sure that it didn't take and it's holding there. doesn't come alive, but yeah, it's a, it's a different ball game. It's a lot, uh, it's a lot of fun and, um, can be miserable at times cause it's usually cold and wet, but. It's a, yeah, I mean, certainly wasn't miserable this weekend. No, it was super nice. And luckily for us, like there was people getting flown in. There were people at the cabins. There was other people around, but we were able to fish where we wanted to fish yeah. and didn't have to wait. But that's another thing with writing about it and podcasting about it. The information is valuable. So a DIY article, but that's been... I've never done a DIY type. Here's all the details that you need to know. Yeah. And I'm glad that I have. And I've probably talked about it more than I should have. Same thing with hunting, giving a little bit, maybe too, too many details. But I think for the most part, it's the people who know are the ones that know. And I don't think I've been overly revealing, but you know, Rick's been talking about how his favorite spot that he went to, someone wrote an article about it and everyone references the article, even down to the recommended amount of, fuel that you're supposed to take to the forest service cabin. So people are showing up with way too much because the person who went in and so just, that was kind of the evidence that huh. oh, all these people read, read this article and I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. People come with different values too. He talked about, he rented the cabin, but then people pitching their tents right in front of the cabin because it was, you know, no big deal. And then he's fishing a spot and someone else comes and, and fishes right next to him. And if, if you are standing where someone's trying to fish and swing, like, you know, when you're fly fishing, you're not fishing the 10, 15 feet right out in front of you. You're fishing you know, down river from that as the flies, yeah. flies are swinging. So if someone goes out there and, and steps on the fish to go out there or like wades out right where you're, you're trying to get your, your dangle or where it's, it's coming to the end of the swing. Can like imagine you're getting, you're getting corked. How mad I would be if I like flew out somewhere and someone else was there. Yeah. And then wasn't willing to kind of cooperate because it's not yeah. your land. You know, you rented the cabin. You yeah, right, right, right. If someone else comes out after you right. and just. Yeah. It's like, hey, mind if I join? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I do a lot, but you don't want to be a jerk. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's it's tough. People make a living. You know guides. 
And so you know that's part of their livelihood. And you don't want to wish them out of a job. But you do wish that, you know, you suffer the entire year. So you do want to be able to fish things on your own terms and not have to fish just in February when it's super miserable. You want to be able to enjoy a nice spring day, uh, not have to, to battle a whole bunch of people who come up with who knows sort of expectations or, or ethics or values. And, um, some people are great. Some people are really appreciative of the experience. Same thing with, you know, people come up here to catch King salmon or come up here on tours or off the cruise ships. They're just, they're such great people to, to talk to because they, uh, they appreciate the experience they're having. They appreciate the opportunity and kind of remind you how spectacular this place is and remind you that you should be really appreciative of living here. But then you have the entitled people too. And, um, we were talking about it earlier with people are coming up to fish in a couple of weeks and they're going to be doing charters off the cruise ships, catch and release for King salmon. Yeah. And you know, there's no regulation that the guides have to use, uh, either one hook or barbless hook. So that trailing hook is going to kill a lot of King salmon. I know some people are, some guides are protective of the resource. And so they're going to go with barbless and singles and use spoons. Um, and it's hard to, I mean, we're, we were just talking about catch and release steelhead fishing, yeah. you know, so you can't chastise people for catch and release king fishing, but there's a difference if you have that, that barbed hook, um, especially two of them. And when you release a steelhead into the river, there's not predators waiting necessarily. There's an otter here or there, maybe a seal, but if, if king salmon's got to be on top of his game as soon as he gets released because you got you got whales around you got sea lions around you got you got all kinds of stuff that's really to ready to to get on so it's a it's a tough thing people got to make money make their living but yeah i think it's it's definitely tough i think being a guide is a hard place to be because so many people come up here with an unreal realistic expectation of what they're going to catch it's like They've seen the photos of, you know, the top of one person of fish, and that's what they expect. And it's, I mean, if you go fishing with a guide, like, yeah, you've got a leg up because the guide knows what's going on. But, I mean, we live here and we still struggle to catch fish. And I'm not saying, like, I mean, a guide is going to do better than we do, but it's not like it's easy. Yeah. The biggest difference with the guide is the bottomless gas tank. So yeah. you can afford to make those runs out to the really good king spots. Whereas if you're a local person with a smaller boat like we have and then limited resources, you know, we're trolling close to town for some of that terminal run or something that's around here. So you're putting yeah. more hours uh, at it, but you're not going to the to the premium spots. Um, but yeah, I, people want to come up here and have that experience and they have those ideas of 40, 50, 60 pound fish in their heads. And I think the king, the Kenai River's already closed down for emergency closure. They're just really yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been an every year type thing where they're 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 closing that stuff down. And it was huh. I uh, had a really good sockeye run last year. It was a little bit late. Same thing with the year before. So sockeye seems to have been pretty good. But yeah, that's the Kenai River is now is known for closures as much as it is for anything else. But yeah, mm. speaking of speaking of crumbs, it's still way better than uh, other places. But yeah. You kind of, kind of wonder and worry about what it's going to be like. So, gotta appreciate uh, what you have now. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What about the 
camping element. I think that makes it a pretty cool thing too. Once the spring spring shows up, it's warm enough to go outside camp. The mosquitoes aren't out yet. Yeah, it's and nice. It makes it camping super, right on the river. Nice. And yeah, I mean, I don't understand why. Like, I just feel like a lot of people just don't like to camp. But it's like if you want to, if you want to beat everyone else to the river, you camp on it. I mean. Yeah. Because that's what, we were out there, and by noon, there was, like, three or four other groups out. Yeah. We had already kind of hit the spots we wanted to hit, but if we showed up at 10 o'clock, I don't know if we'd catch any fish, you know? No, being able to get to that one, hit the hit a couple spots first. Because some of these, like you said, these rivers are not real big, so you're not looking at, you know, 15 spots up and down the river. There's, like, three good spots, maybe four, depending on water. Yeah. And maybe two people per spot. Really, that slot hole is a, kind of a one-person spot yeah. for that spot. You can, the top end of that, you can fish, but you know that's it can't support four or five people at each spot. So it's you kind of got to get there first. And um, camping is the way to go, but it is sometimes the weather's not great, and then it, there's some logistical things that you have to do and. Yeah, I mean, you got to carry your stuff yeah. in, and it's more work for sure. Yeah, but that's that's one of the, the cool things about it, and I think, uh, again, that lingering appreciation for the opportunities. It's fun to, to kind of row a, a raft. It's, you know, hiking is something you do for fun, and then taking a boat is something you do for fun, so you're actually doing a whole bunch of fun things before you even start to steelhead fish, as long as you consider those things fun. If it does, yeah. if yeah. it is work. Then it's it's not fun, obviously, but um, you know people down south that are driving two, three, four, five hours to get to the river. So none of that is fun. You yeah. have excitement, you know. You're maybe hanging out with friends. Yeah. You're on a road trip. That can be kind of fun. But all these other elements just make it a whole really, really cool experience. And coming back from the river yesterday, it was just you, know, you camp on the river, you catch some fish. Weather is beautiful coming back on the skiff and you see whale i mean it's yeah it was, yeah, it was nice really really tough to beat not not advocating to to for anybody to move here at all you should definitely not fish the rivers you should stay away because it's not it's horrible it's bad i mean the really is though that most people in this town don't fish i mean we're talking about three we're to four. fish at least, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we're talking about three to four groups out there from a town with 12,000 people. Like, Yeah, yeah I think there are people that do uh, – there's that one spot that gets hammered, and people almost fish that daily. There's a couple of people yeah. driving around with those suction cup rod holders. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely people who, who hammer that. And then other people, I think, they get one or two good trips per year. Um, and then – you know, once May starts rolling around, it's getting ready for for king time, and the amount of people yeah. who fish for for kings is much bigger. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going out for crab and and trying yeah. to get uh, crab and shrimp this time of year. And I know in a couple of weeks here, I will not. I'll be like, yeah, we were swamped with boats, but I was even kind of surprised how few boats there were at the marina when we. Yeah. Yeah the the king salmon being moved back to the 15th had a big, uh, big impact on when kind of the season starts for some of the people. Uh, cause you're just doing the stuff off the cruise ships for that, uh, catch and release stuff. The uh, yeah. other people that aren't going to spend all the money to come up here and, 
and not be able to catch their kings. So that moved everything back. But there used to be a King Salmon Derby during Memorial Weekend. And it was a big yeah, two-weekend thing. And everyone was talking about fishing the derby. And I was first here. It was fishing the derby, fishing the derby. And then they moved it to a, a coho salmon one in the, in the late summer. So it was kind of interesting to... I moved back just in time to see that transition. So I have memories on both sides of that. And it's, it was, yeah, the people talking about the way things were. And yeah. It's pretty sad. But again, I think that makes you appreciate what you have. I'm glad you have the mindset to be able to be satisfied with one fish, excited with it. Know that there's more, know that you could catch more, but, you know, not having to catch more. Yeah, I think is a is a cool thing to have, and you don't have that desperation. But. Yeah. So, um, you gonna look at a bear? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I might look at some. I don't think I'm trying to kill one, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll get a bear in front of me and get trigger ha- trigger happy. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I always do that in the spring go out ready and people say that if you're not prepared to shoot a bear then you shouldn't go at all but i know people say a whole bunch of different stuff and i think in that moment if it feels right then go for it if not then whatever i think especially with spring bear and having a lot of opportunities we can go every weekend with bear out so we can go every weekend from here until the end of may so it's not this desperation i have to fill the tag or i have to fill two or the end of june right End of June, yeah. You don't have to salvage the meat after that. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, there's more than enough time to, to get one if you wanted to. But it's fun to go out there and, and yeah. camp. You just endured the stinking winter. It was cold and black ice and wet and dreary and gray. So just to go out and look at bears is yeah. perfectly fun and fine. And, you know, you don't have that. You didn't have to pay for a tag or draw a tag so it's not i you know tag soup yeah, does not exist with spring nice. bear it's you know if you want to want to take one and make a lot of sausage and that that summer sausage sausage that ryan makes is really really good it is but do i want like how many pounds of meat 200 it's quite a bit <laughs> i don't know if it's that much but yeah it's quite a bit of meat and if i think we got two freezers yeah. plus the fridge, but I think I'd prefer salmon and halibut to, uh, yeah, me to too. Meat than the processing, but yeah, I love spring bear hunting though. It's fun yeah. to go out there. Fun to watch. Fun to, I just... think that's some, I'll take a bear in my life, but it's going to be something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, cruising the beaches, a lot of fun, or even just posting up. Again, the mosquitoes aren't super bad, so just sitting on the beach waiting for something to come out, glassing, you know, super casual. You're snacking, drinking tea, coffee, mm. whatever. It's a lot of fun to yeah. just a great get back in the swing of things. Uh, Maybe I'll experience. try to take one with my bow. <laughs> there you go. Because then it'll take me a while. Yeah. Yeah, you can get pretty close. Their, their noses are really, really good. But, uh, you know, the sight's not great. So as long as you're really paying attention to the wind. And then uh, getting dropped. It's a, it's kind of a fire drill. Getting off the boat, on shore, and then making the stock. 
Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun experience. Yeah. And it, yeah, it'd be fun to just make some stocks. Yeah. Yeah. The run I did that last year cut from know, a long stinking way away back and, uh, to get, it was 120 or something like that. Pretty close to this bear. Just, just fun to watch. Just mowing down some grass and itched it, uh, or scratched its back on a, on a spruce tree and just kind of watching them in their habitat, you know, and Ryan didn't feel like shooting. He had the weapon. So shoot, that's nothing wrong with that. So I think he took one after that though, a couple of weeks afterwards. So, yeah. So that's good. Uh, fishing should be fun, but yeah, just make the most of these weekends now. Yeah. Yeah. I want to try to get some halibut or something before. Yeah. I'll get fished out close to town. Yeah. Probably already are. Yeah, there's so many people who talk about getting really nice ones close to town. And then it's one of those things, same thing with nice bucks or even bucks in general, that you hear every single story of someone getting a really nice halibut close to town. Yeah. And you don't have anybody else's hour calculator or hour counter of how many hours they spend out there or setting two hook skates or or jigging and how poorly they did you just uh you just see the the massive take and you know luckily uh i've got a buddy who has some some decent spots that's produced for us nothing massive massive but the really perfect eaters at that 30 yeah. to 60 pound uh range so those are nice those will get a good start in the freezer and then lingcod make the best tacos those things are great are we out of lingcod i think so I think we we don't have too much fish left. Just maybe five or ten packs of halibut. Probably less than yeah. ten. We were hitting the deer and the caribou. That was pretty much all we did for fall and then winter. So we didn't eat fish. We've been eating a lot of fish lately, which has been really nice. Yeah. It's important to get that, and that's the, the Kaylee over in Cloak with the industrial vacuum packer. You a lot more is preserved better. Some of those cheaper yeah. vacuum packers, you get a lot more freezer burn, yeah, you get a lot get more of that. So, out. Yeah, the, the commercial grade vacuum packer and vacuum bags do make a difference. Not in all of them, but, you know, it is kind of nice that you pay for it. But, yeah. shoot, it's nice to have that stuff. The salmon or the halibut we had tonight was perfect condition. You couldn't have told that it was yeah nine months old or ten months old or whatever it was. So Yeah, I mean, probably that was from last June, so. Yeah. Keeps well. So, what else you got? Anything else to close up with? That's about it. Yeah. Uh, go to MediocreAlaskan.com, order my book, Beyond the Hunt, and my bo- other book, Miserable Paradise. Get those both there. Um, pretty excited for the uh, Beyond the Hunt. A lot of cool stuff in there. I, I really enjoyed writing about that there's a bunch of books out there about people taking good animals and great hunting stories and i wanted to cover some of the other things i haven't read about as much but that are definitely parts of the whole experience like with the industry and with uh mentors and people and things like that so i i'm really proud of what i wrote but you know the hunting books are there's a lot of them and not a lot of them sell real well so i might get kind of in that 
area, but uh, that's where the exp that's the reality of the situation. That's probably what's going to happen. But I'm I'm pretty stinking proud of the book. It's a lot of the stuff is the best I've I've written. So that's kind of the I'm happy with the product. That's the that's main the point, right? That's the pitch. Yeah. So buy it. Um, all right, that'll do it. Talk to you next time.